daily walk. As we live the miracle of the new life you have graciously called us to, Lord, bless us with the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And um, last week we were in Georgia, which was really good because I heard like a third of our entire church got the flu in like 24 hours. We, uh, we have not got sick, so if you even have a sniffle, you better stay away from me and my five <laughs> kids. You know how it is, with, you know, kids, if you get even one sniffle, everybody's done, so we're okay. We've, we're, we're still hanging on. So, um, yeah, please pray for our church. Everybody's getting sick. So today, um, I am, uh, well, right now we're in the process of planting a new church, and um, I am one of the guys helping kind of lead that endeavor. And it is on the uh, north side of town. It's going to be in Point Pleasant. And so uh, the sermon you're getting this morning is a version, at least, of the sermon they are getting tonight. Uh, different, but similar. And um, yeah, please pray for this church plant. If, if you live on the north side of town, in the oncoming months, we'll be transitioning to uh, Sunday mornings. We'll be seeing less and less of me in the mornings. I won't be gone forever, of course this other church will be another Redeemer Fellowship, so you'll see, still be seeing plenty of me here during the week at the building and such. But um, please be praying for that, more updates to come next week especially, um, as we have some pretty exciting stuff to share. So this morning, we are in Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, my, we actually got our kids and like memorized this psalm um, at our morning breakfast table. We, we, we love, I love this psalm, we love this psalm. And um, by way of introduction, uh, I want to start with the primary doctrine right, of our faith. It's the resurrection, right? Without the resurrection, the gospel is not the gospel. Without the resurrection, Christ's death did not count for anything. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, we are still utterly dead in our sins. But for some reason, it is a doctrine that the church does not speak of enough often. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I grew up down south. Many of you know that, but in Georgia, the Bible Belt, right? And I heard the gospel message given to me was Jesus came, he died for your sins, believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven, and you'll, um, you'll be given eternal life and live with him in heaven forever and ever. And I remember this. This was um, 13 years ago at this point. Uh, I remember this conversation because it was like one of those big kind of moments in my, you know, Christian life, I guess. I was asked, uh, why did Jesus rise from the dead? And mind you, I've been, I was baptized at, you know, five years old. I grew up in the church um, under really just good churches, healthy churches. But I realized in southern, you know, kind of culture, not just southern culture, this is I'm speaking Christianity at large, I started fumbling trying to even answer why Jesus rose from the dead. I knew why he died on the cross. I knew that very clearly. But why did he rise from the dead? And I find myself doing a abba-da-abba-da kind of moment, right? And I was like, that's a problem. According to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, without the resurrection, there, there's nothing. Christian, the, the Christian faith is no faith at all. We're misrepresenting God, and you are still dead in your sins, and you're wasting your time, and the world should be making fun of us. That's how strong Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. So I realized I need to understand this doctrine a little more. Um, 
So I want to give you kind of a, a little glimpse, right? The gospel is so much more than just Christ dying on the cross, right? Of course, that is absolutely crucial to the gospel. Without there is no gospel. But without the resurrection, the cross is inactive. The best summation I can come up with concerning the gospel, how, how do I describe the gospel in one sentence, I would say this. Pastor Lee just actually said this. He is making all things new. Of course, the content of the gospel arrives when you explain how he was making all things new. But this is God's mission to renew and to recreate all things. The resurrection was God's promise to us that he is going to do so. When Christ died on the cross, all right, listen, the payment of our wickedness and all of our sins was paid for. But upon his resurrection, he dealt with its consequences with this with the ultimate final enemy which is death death was a result of adam's sin in this world death marred the world and we all have experienced that to some degree whether um friend family we, we've seen death we know it feels out of place and we know that it is there very so real today but god has made a promise to us in christ that one day he is going to reverse death just like he did when christ rose from the dead is a promise that he did indeed die for our sins, but he actually conquered and disarmed the power of sin by bringing himself back from the dead. It is the ultimate show of God's power and glory in human history. And one day, just as Christ, too, was the, he's the first fruits of the resurrection, we too will be raised to an imperishable and glorious body. We too will defeat death. And then, when that day happens... This is what I never, I was not taught near enough of this. We're talking about a lot of this today. Heaven and earth are going to be doing this, coming together. And in that place, death will be no more, no more pain or suffering, no more injustice, no more racial tension, no more separation of God and man. All people who have believed upon Jesus Christ will be together with their God and everything will be made new. So we're done. Amen. Just kidding. It's tempting, right? But today, here is what we are going to look at. That is a, those are future events, that is a past event of his resurrection, right? What about today? How does the resurrection actually apply to us today? Does it? It does. And I believe Psalm 84 here is a great example of how it does. Even though it was written pre, you know, Christ's resurrection, it was very much looking forward to the new covenant and to resurrection. But by doing so, we're going to look at... Um, the background story of this song. And then in the Old Testament, maybe somewhat, you know, obscure to, obscure to some, but a very intense story to give us some, some backdrop of this psalm, and then we're going to dive into the psalm itself. So the background of this psalm, we're going to start in Numbers chapter 16. I won't read this whole story. It's rather uh, lengthy considering it's the chapter. But in Numbers 16, to paint the backdrop of this psalm, we have... A group of men, Levites, that came to Moses and Aaron with complaints. Their leader, his name was Korah. All right, and this is when Israel had been brought out of Egypt. They're wandering around the wilderness. And they go to, to Moses and they start saying things like, Hey, Moses, um, you know that you're not, you know, the most important kind of hotshot around here. You think you are. We think you're trying to make yourself prince and king over us. Well, guess what? We're all holy, Moses. We don't need your leadership anymore. We think you're trying to take advantage of us. You, you just left us here in the wilderness to die in the wilderness. 
We are essentially they're saying we, we, we want to reject your leadership, reject all that you have been saying to us that supposedly has been coming from God. We're, we are all holy. We can hear from God, Moses. We don't need you anymore. That's what they said. So in essence, Moses and Aaron had these really religious people who walked up to them using God language, right? And veiled behind their language was, and my wife brought it up well on the way here as I was kind of walking through this for her. Um, they were similar to the Pharisees in that the work of God through Moses and Aaron was right before their eyes. The very gospel, the very message, well, the very message of what God, of his salvation, redemption to Israel and his work among them was right in front of their face and they were rejecting it. And they were saying, no, this isn't God's work. This is not the work of God. Moses, you're not sent from God. Aaron, you're not sent from God. And they were rejecting it, similar to the Pharisees, right, in the Gospels. When Jesus said, you're, if you're rejecting the very work of God in your face, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There's nothing left for you to see, right? If you're rejecting what's in your face, there's nothing left for you to see. Number 16.3, um, I'll, just, I'll just read just an example of what they were accusing Moses of. He says, um, they assembled against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. For in all the congregation, we're holy, every one of them, and... Yahweh, the Lord, is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Right? Elsewhere they said, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with, um, that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? That was Egypt, by the way. That wasn't Canaan. They just called Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. We were slaves. They kill us in the wilderness. You must also make prints over us. So long story short, God was angry. Moses was angry. And God said, bring them together. And he said this, Moses said, everybody, separate from their tent of wickedness. Remember those words. We'll see those else in a minute. Separate from their tents of wickedness. And what does God do? He actually opens the earth. And Korah and the men with him literally fall into the earth. The earth closes back up. Now that's something rather dramatic. Now, think of the reputation of this guy's family later on. Dude, you're the kids of the guy who the earth swallowed up. Like, that was this family's story. The sons of Korah, that was their story. All right? That's a pretty rough legacy to have, a legacy of rejecting God, right? A spiritual deadness and God's wrath poured out on your own family. Psalm 84. When you read the Psalms, don't forget to read the little prescript. It's very important. Listen to this one. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, probably a musical tune, a psalm of the sons of Korah. All right? Remember this. We're going to read on in this psalm now. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. What they start off here is a deep, it's hard to even describe the longing. It's such a deep longing for the very presence of God, not just the very presence of God, but to be actually where God himself is. They say, it's so beautiful your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul longs to be there. It even faints. That's a nice poetic word. When the Hebrew thrust is, is something, or essentially saying, I, I feel like I'm being destroyed by my longing. 
I'm so fatigued by my longing, I just want to, want to collapse. That is how intense this longing for the very presence of God is in his life. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And in and, and, and Hebrew thought, the heart, um, it, it was essentially addressing your, your inclinations, your, your motives, your, the, the question of why you do what you do. Uh, the thing beneath all of your actions, that's, the, that's our hearts according to Hebrew thought in the, Old, in the Old Testament. All of this guy's uh, yearnings beneath all that he did is, is, is singing for joy to the living God. The Christian life, as we work through this, I want to point this out to you guys. It is essentially, it begins, I think this is right. I don't know. I've thought about this a lot, but I'm going to say it. I hope I'm right. I think I'm right. Um, it, it begins, the process of, of, of faith in us begins at your motives. It is the very, the beginning is a shaping of your motives in your life. Why you do what you do. Right? And then, from why you do what you do is born all of our actions in life. Um, and here we see just a glimpse of that, that. The very foundation of, of, of his crying, of, of, his, of his joy, it is his, his motives, his inclinations. He wants to be, have, have a disposition that is utterly bent towards yearning for God. And man, when your inclinations and your yearning is shaped after God, then all of your actions that proceed from that are going to be just shining of God. And his joy is coming straight from there. Don't forget that back story. Let's keep moving on. This is his relatives that we're talking about here. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Probably, I think, um, they were at the temple, and they probably saw some birds. You guys seen birds make nests in your front porch, you know, or, you know, a tree in the backyard or something, and you observe. He was probably observing, like, birds making a nest on the altar of God or somewhere close to that. And he, and he looks at this and he says, you know what? I want to be that bird. I want my family to be making a nest in the very presence of God, just like these birds are. If these, the birds are here, but, wow, I, I want my family's home to be here with God, just like these birds are making their nest. I want my family... My, my children, my, I want our household to make its nest here right in the very presence of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And this is where just absolute beauty comes in. In verse 5, or verse 6, it says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They're probably talking about this pathway that was commonly used by pilgrims somewhere in the land of Israel to get to the temple for feasts and for worship and etc. And around Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, if you've ever been over there, it's, it's a wilderness. It's cracked, dry, parched land. Right? There's nothing there. It's, it's desolation. Um, the Dead Sea is over there, and the sea is dead, right? So, you know, it's a good uh, euphemism kind of for the, the, the area. It is a, a dead wilderness place. And this is what he says. Again, think through the heart. 
the motives here, what's inside of this yearning, this longing, this is what happens when we're walking through a desolate place like the Valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength in the, in the pier before God in Zion. When their heart is in that place of yearning for God, they can walk through a wilderness and even that wilderness they're walking through can become a place of life, can become a place of springs where water is found. It's reminiscent of, of, of the story of Joseph when he told his brothers, what you did to me you thought was evil and it was indeed, indeed wicked, but all the stuff that I had to bear because of your wickedness, you know what? God intended this for good. He brought life out of this wilderness that I have been in for all these years because of your actions, because you're evil, you brought on me. God has made this place a spring of pools. God can transform anything that you may be going through in your life, any incredible difficulty, hardship, trial, a season of just, of just challenges. It seems arid. It seems dry. You feel like you're drying up. But as we'll see in just a moment here, the Holy Spring, the Holy Spirit can cause that place to be a spring of water within you, right? Listen to this. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, this is verse 5, and whose heart are the way, highways to Zion. So what I want to point out here, and that's before verses 6 and 7, what I want to point out here is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is where the, the backdrop of all this comes into place. How is this longing taking place? How has this heart received these, these renewed inclinations to be yearning after God? How can these wilderness places be made into springs with pools? How is this happening? Well, within himself, yes, he's going to the courts of the Lord, but within himself there are now these highways. They're even guiding himself towards God within him. In the new covenant we now know we can say, well, yes, this guy was filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you now have access to God. Ephesians 2 is very clear, 18 and 19. For through him, through, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens and with saints and members of the household of God. When Christ died, the veil in the temple that was separating God and man was split in two. When the Spirit is within you, he now has created this, these roads in your very heart that wherever you are in life, you now have access to God the Father just by simply sitting and praying. There's no longer a place to travel to. You now can sit in your house in the middle of a situation that you don't know what to do, you can now have access to God today. Those highways are now built into our hearts that lead us directly to the very presence of God by the help and dwelling presence of the Spirit. In verses 8 and 9, he says this. He says, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God, of Jacob. Listen to this desperation. He's saying, hear my prayer, God. Please listen to me. You are my shield. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Look at me, God. He's begging for God's just gaze in his life. And he says this, the culmination of his words, verse 10, 11, and 12, such beautiful words. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And listen to this. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now where did he get that language from? Right? 
Moses literally in Numbers 16, word for word, said, separate from Korah and his tents of wickedness. And now the sons of Korah are writing this, saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God has a son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. First Chronicles 9 tells us that David brought the sons of Korah. Well, the story of redemption, and we'll talk about the resurrection now here in a minute, how this applies to all of this. He gets the sons of Korah. Knowing their family history, knowing what they did, knowing the wicked things that they did and the reputation amongst Israel, he brought them into, their Levites, right, brought them into the courts of God and made them doorkeepers. First Chronicles 9 tells us this. He brought redemption to this family and said, I know your past, but you love your Lord with all of your heart. And God can redeem you. And I want you to serve him as Levites are supposed to in the very courts of God and watch after the gate be doorkeepers and Korah says yes the sons of Korah says I'd rather be a doorkeeper this humble little spot of service I want to do this so much more than ever dwell in the tents of wickedness for one day here as a doorkeeper in the courts of God is better than a thousand anywhere else so what does all this have to do with the resurrection all right when we become Christians, the Spirit applies all those future realities of what we just talked about, of the resurrection, when heaven and earth come together and all things are made new. He applies all those future realities today in your heart where Paul can say, today you are a new creation. When the Spirit dwells in your heart, He is today recreating you. He will one day renew your bodies and bring Him back and recreate your body to be imperishable and forever be before Him. But today... He is remolding and reshaping and, re and refashioning your heart to where he can look at you and say, today you are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. This is a, I, I, what I would call the spiritual resurrection we receive today, which only points to our future very permanent resurrection that will happen. And when the Spirit lives in us, when he dwells inside of us, our motives and our heart and our yearning should be then shaped and only focused and only geared towards God himself. Because we know that before we place faith in Jesus, before we recognized in our life that he died for our sins and rose to defeat death and to give us, before all that, we were dead. But now we have life. And then we become like the psalmist saying, oh God, how lovely is your dwelling place. I just want to be with you. Korah in number 16, they wanted to be separate from God. But now they want to say, I want to be with you. I don't want to be separate from you anymore, from your plans and from your people. I want to be with you forever and ever, more than anything else in this world. And so the message I want to have for us today is this. If we truly believe here in this church that God is sovereign and brings life only by his power, only by his choice, only by his wisdom, to us, that we don't have a say-so in our spiritual regeneration, that we can't choose God on our own. If he plucks us down because of his will and only by his sovereignty power, then we must be Christians who are yearning for the help of the Holy Spirit all day. I need you, God. 
and desperation. We are to be in utter desperation for his touch, for his gaze, as the psalmist said. Today, that is the spiritual resurrection that we are being made new today. And the yearning that we are to have is to beg for the help of the Holy Spirit in our life, to draw our affections and our gaze only to Jesus and to Jesus alone, that our marriages may be made new, that our relationships with our coworkers and our family and our vocations and all that we do can be refashioned and remade to be a glimpse of the perfection that Christ wants to bring to this world, the very application of the gospel in our lives today. The Spirit is literally waiting for you. This is what he's been showing me so much. He's waiting for you to say, just beg and cry out to me. I want to be with you. I want to guide you. I'm there with you now. Just open your eyes and see me. Don't be like Korah who's missing the work of God right in front of their face. Open your eyes and beg. Say, Spirit, how often do you wake up and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill me today. May I just work today in the fullness of your spirit. May your spirit guide me today. May every situation today that comes about, may I be able to be in tune with your spirit that I can respond according to your spirit. May I work hard today with the help of your spirit. May I be soft to those around me and have a soft heart to listen to those around me by the help of your spirit. How often do we pray these prayers? Often myself, I live as if I was the one who brought myself back to life. I know the gospel truths and I know all these things are true and I often feel that I can do those things on my own. That I can operate without the aid of the Spirit in my life day to day where I go to bed and sometimes I'm like, man, did I even stop today to just pray? Don't be that way. Pray for a softness in your heart that you can look at Psalm 84 and say, yes, I'm yearning to that that way. So as we close, as a community of Christians here in this church, as we receive this kind of renewal, renewal by the Holy Spirit, that's my prayer, renewal, over and over I pray, God renew me. As he is renewing us, as he is refashioning us, he's, re, he's re, bringing renewal to our lives by the Holy Spirit. These cities and the communities on the Jersey Shore around here, when they see and observe your life, they will be observing a glimpse of what everybody is yearning for, this new heavens and the new earth. As he was reversing your life, as they see the way you were living in your, in your heart, they, hear, they see your love for them, they hear the gospel from your lips, they're receiving glimpses of this new heaven and new earth. When they receive you, they'll be receiving um, as if it was receiving Christ himself. I just pray that we can live in that way. And in that way as we do, as we're praying, Spirit, do a work here in the Jersey Shore that is beyond um, human possibilities, that is beyond things that we could do ourselves. Would you bring about something like that and maybe we just work as hard as we possibly can, but would you activate our work, Spirit, to bring this about? I believe that Redeemer Fellowship is where seeking to plant another church and by God's grace plant many more churches that we can see this place experiencing something that makes no sense, that is not based on somebody's personality or based on some charismatic leader or based on some really cool ministry ideas. That's just based on the Spirit of God working and Christians living like Psalm 84 shows with just this yearning and, and just desperation for the Holy Spirit and for God's presence in their life. 
I truly believe that something amazing can happen with a community of Christians living in this way. So as you're here, as we close, if, if God is speaking to you this morning, I beg you, his work is, is right in front of your eyes. Don't be like Korah and, and, and use religious language to somehow write him off and say, I'd rather be doing this and try to find creative ways to stamp God's approval on your disobedience. Um, I think we've, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can spiritualize your own disobedience, just like Korah did. Um, rather, just have this simple prayer. This is not hard work here. This simple prayer of saying, God, soften me and fill me with your spirit today. Help me long for you today. I challenge you as we leave this place today, may that be your prayer throughout this week. Just wake up. God, soften my heart. Fill me with your spirit. May I live and, and, and yearn for you throughout my day. Give me opportunities, Jesus, to shine with your Holy Spirit. To show people and to tell people the good news of the gospel. Renew my heart today. Fill me with your spirit today. You don't even have to get up. You know, if you just when you're laying in bed, roll over and kind of scoot your knees up. If you're going to be that lazy, like, just do that at least. Like, pray. I've done that, you know, guys. You can tell. Just pray. Lay in your bed in the mornings. Wake up. God, fill me with your spirit today. And I'm telling you, he wants that prayer and he will listen to that prayer. And you will see a difference in your life. And you will see sins flush to the surface and be dealing with stuff. Like, why is there resistance in my heart to this? And he'll begin working and flushing those things out. And yeah, so let me just pray. I'll quit talking. Jesus, um, I just, I, I, I guess we can just pray that your spirit, would you hear our prayers, Lord? That even if people today are, are, uh, have a hard heart and are wanting to resist what is being seen and, and what we see in this psalm and just the realities of this new creative New creation of, of work you're doing in our hearts today, pointing us towards the completion of all things when we return, renew all things. Lord, if, if there's resistance to that work today in somebody's heart, break it down, God. Whatever it takes, break it down. I pray for somebody in this room who may not know you, but they hear these things and say, I, I, I want that, Lord. Would you, would you show them that they need that if they don't know they, that they need it? God, renew us. Empower us by your spirit. Romans 8, 11 says the same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us to give life to our mortal bodies today. Lord, give us the power of the resurrection by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to live in such power. As we sung before, there is power in your name. May we live in light of that power. I pray this in your name. Amen.